Hey everyone, I'm Kari. Hello everyone, I am Bree. And this is CSI Talk. Hello everyone, welcome back. Another week, another episode of CSI Talk. Hi. Before we get into today's episode, uh, we just want to let you all know that this is a safe space for you. This is always going to be a safe space for you, regardless of what is happening right now. So whenever you want to come here, just to listen to two girls talking about their favorite science crime planning show, we got you. If I sound tired, I'm sorry. I just came back from watching Oppenheimer. Great movie. Really long, but great movie. Uh, Louise Lombard. She's in that movie. She has a small part, but she's in that movie. If you guys want to watch that. Uh, and for information, see Sophia Curtis. Yeah. She's in that movie. And she has a small part, but I, I instantly recognize her <laughs> by the back of her hair. <laughs> okay. Uh, she has, but it's revelant. Like her character is revelant overall. To the story of Oppenheimer, and it's a great movie. I think it tells a great story about fundamentally what is happening to the world. You know, even though the story itself takes place almost a hundred years ago. Well, never the forties. It's not eight years ago. That's almost a hundred. I mean, that's eight years. No, it's not that. That's still over twenty. Okay, so twenty years from now. Okay, so the story takes place in during the 1940s. I mean, technically, what? it starts in the 1920s. Technically, the story starts in the 1920s. Mid-1920s. Technically, the open rhyme of stories in a movie starts in the 1920s. It was based on a book, a great movie. So, yeah, great. It's a great story overall. Even though it's a very long movie, I know... You might be thrown off because it's a three-hour-long movie, but I assure you that it's a great movie. So if I sat through it for three hours, I'm sure you can too. And if not, I mean, I'm sure you can sit through it just to watch Sophia Curtis on the big screen. She, her character is really relevant, relevant to the story of Oppenheimer overall. So... No news about season three of Suicide Vegas yet. Uh, they haven't reached an agreement yet. Um, and podcasts hosted by people who've been in the shows are going stop doing new episodes. Yeah. Podcasts made by actors who... Or people. Or people who worked somehow in... On shows like Dave Coulier's Full House podcast, the the two people who were in Wizards of Real Blue Place, Jennifer Stone and the Dad Majewit Wizards of Real Place, they all have gone hiatus from the podcast they do for those shows. Yeah, and the reason that we're still going is first, this is a podcast made by fans. Second. We're talking about things that happened over 10 years ago. Third, I mean, half of this podcast is made, it's not made in America. I'm guessing that we can still do it based on the fact that half of this podcast is not made in America. And we're still going to do it in... Unless it comes out asking for fans to stop producing podcast episodes. 
Yeah, but I'm just—I mean, they have an accent. Our podcast is our podcast. Yes, I talk is not under SAG regulations, even though we support what is happening right now. Our podcast is not under SAG. Unless, like, if they ask fans to stop, though, we'll we'll make a post about it. Talk about why we're going on a hiatus, and that'd be the only reason why we go on hiatus. And but we're not, because I had heard that they were going to reach an agreement, but as they haven't, so I guess we'll still wait. I I did not hear about that agreement, but I don't see an agreement happening anytime soon, especially with Bob Iger's statements he's been putting out. Yeah, I don't like Black Panther right now. I just heard that someone that worked on one division said that they made digital copies of the extras without their permission. That is, I don't even have words to describe how disgusted I am at the fact that somebody so images of actress who had no idea that's would had no idea what they were going through because they probably did not get their money's worth. They probably wanted to be on a show that is still reminding to this day as one of this studio's masterpiece. And they're not going to get their money's worth. They're not going to get any dime for what they did on that day, which is really sad. In a way, this is assault, right? This is assault on their image, on their body. No, it's it's called stealing their image. It's called stealing their image. Yeah. Stealing their image, assault, put it however you want. It's, it's still a crime. Well, so we are going to talk about... Today, we're going to talk about the episode that gave us the introduction to one of the most infamous, infamous, infamous or famous characters of the whole CSI franchise. Uh, the episode is called Slaves of Las Vegas. It's episode eight of season two. And we have the introduction of Lady Heather Kessler. Of, yeah, exactly that. Lady Heather Kassler. So the official synopsis of the episode is A naked young woman is found dead in a sandbox at a park playground. The scars and liquid, liquid latex on her body led Catherine Grissom and Nick to a fetish club. Meanwhile, Warwick and Sarah investigate an armed robbery at a check at a check cashing store. Do you guys realize that like, Sarah was never put on Lady Sadler's case until it became inevitable that those two had to meet. Until Unleashed. Yeah. We only have two cases here. So first, we're going to the main case that Catherine Grissom and Nick are working on. Then we're going to cover works in Sarah's case. So, Ion Coco is... Play. They're playing on the playground, and they ended well, up falling. They're not playing. 
Yeah, they're not playing, but I mean, they're like kissing each other, you know. Um, they're on a date. They're on a date, kissing, you know, and all that. And then they fall into a sandbox. And then they realized that there is a dead body of a woman a few feet away from them. That must have been creepy. I hope that wasn't their first date because that would have been really creepy. That well, would have put a the brakes on things. Exactly. Probably they realized, oh, maybe we shouldn't be dating. <laughs> maybe that was a sign from the heavens. So Grissom gets to the scene and he's like, oh, there's no disturbance in the sand, which means that it's a body dump. The deaths occurred somewhere else. And he thinks somebody buried the body in the playground because they wanted to be shown. Oh my God, can you imagine if it was a little kid that found the body? Not those. That that ha- that's happened in CSI. Oh, I know, but like, more. Oh. So. It happened in t- Anatomy of a Lie, remember? Yeah, I know. And uh, probably knowing that they are going to lose the evidence, Catherine and Grissom, they decided that they're going to take the scene with them. So they shift the sand around the body until it's completely uncovered, which means that they just get precious and they brush away the sand to get the body. I mean, it makes sense, but it's probably something that would make you tired so to literally brush away the sands from the body back in autopsy i think this is one of the most beautiful scenes in csi because you guys know that i love the scenes that the more the more sequences are some of my favorite sequence sequences in csi but like this sequence specifically when grissom is just doing his overall analysis of the body in the autopsy table i think it's kind of beautiful the way he does it i don't know it's just the way they put it on the screen is just something else grissom is photographing the body and he realizes that there are restraint marks on the victims on her ankles precisely and he finds a piece of silver is stuck to her back and something is partly stuck to her leg. But when he's watching her body, he realizes there is a lot of bruises on her back and on her legs. There are also restraint marks on her wrists. He makes most of her restraint marks to try and find out what could have done that. I mean, to be able to make a mold of the restraints means that they had to have gone pretty deep. Doc Robbins tells Grissom that the victim died two to four hours before she was discovered. And he cannot tell COD, but the ligature marks indicates violence. And yeah, we all know that, Doc. We, we've been new. And there is all the news cars all over her body. Even though there is 
physical abuse. He cannot tell if there is any sign of sexual abuse. For some, he he's like, well, but she was beaten on a regular basis, even though she took good care of herself. And took good care of herself as in she had manicure nails and pole nails and her hair was perfect. That's what he's referring to. And Catherine, uh, she's the one that realizes that the victim had breast implants. Brad, he is running a test on the silver and that Grissom found on the victim and it came back as tempered glass with aluminum which makes Nick believe that the victim was chained up. So if he will imagine she was chained up in the next... Yeah, she was chained up. Greg, he also realizes that the sparkly stuff that Grissom found is liquid latex. And Catherine, she runs the serial number on the implant and it leads her to Dr. Sidney Cornfield. And the, the good doctor says that it was at work and he recognizes the victim. He says that the name of the victim is Mona Taylor and says that a third party paid for everything and he provides Catherine with the address. Which is most likely the work address. Catherine, Grissom, and Brad, they visit the address and they are greeted by none other than Lady Heather. And she is the owner of a fetish club. And <laughs> Lady Heather thinks that they are customers. So she starts talking to them as if they are paying customers until they introduce themselves as law enforcement. Well, that doesn't mean too much. Yeah, that doesn't mean too much because there are law enforcement. We would find out seasons later that she had law enforcement agent also being part of her club. Well, Catherine and Nick, they are searching the, peri- the uh, premises. They find out that Mona's car is still in the driveway and it's locked and it appears to be clean. Nick... He is going through the trash and he finds liquid latex with a circle and print on it, which is probably from a watch. Okay. So he's inside the club. Lady Heather says that Mona's last client was at the house at 11 p.m., meaning that Mona would have left around midnight. So Grissom and Brass, they naturally ask for the client's name and the address as well. And they want to go through the rooms in which she did her work. And they, and they go to the pool house. And it's amazing how Grissom is fascinated to be standing on that. On that house. Grissom tells Catherine and Nick to check out the room where Mona worked because he wants to get to know Lady Heather. 
I think he was just curious to know who she was. And intrigued about who she is. Yeah. Because she had this, not this idea, but she was part of this world that he probably knew existed, but he never took any interest in knowing until he had a victim who appeared to be part of this world. And now he had to know everything that he could so he could find out what happened to her. Rissom tells Lady Heather about the marks and the ligature contusions they found on Mona's body. And Lady Heather says that Mona didn't die because she worked there. And because Grissom thought that Mona had died because she worked there. She says that what happened at her club isn't about violence. It's about challenging the preconceived notions of normalcy. And when Grissom tells her that the marks are fresh, Lady Heather is actually surprised about that. She says that Mona was always the dominant, was always the one that played the dominant role with her clients. And she tells Grissom that the killers probably won one of Mona's off-the-book clients. And Grissom keeps questioning Lady Heather. And he is actually really fascinated about everything that is in her officers, in her office. And they start to talk about deviant behavior and what men really want. And Grissom is actually really surprised about how Lady Heather can carry that conversation. Okay. Okay. Like, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to say, I'm not going to call him that. I know you're all thinking that I'm going to call him that word. But I'm not. But I will say, though, that I think Grissom had this. I mean, we're talking about season two of Grissom. Season two of Grissom hadn't, he hasn't lifted his head up from the microscope yet. So he was still thinking that not everybody was as smart as he was. So to meet somebody as Lady Heather, to carry a conversation like that, I think he probably was in wonder that he maybe found someone like him, maybe his match. I don't know. So Catherine and Nick, they walk into Mona's chamber and Catherine noticed the silver that Mona's bag could have come from the chain that is hanging in the middle of the room. Nick also finds liquid latex and says that it's weird that people visit places like this. And Catherine says that the only word thing that she's learned while being the CSI is that humans are capable of anything. Well, she's right. Humans are capable of anything. That's the weirdest thing in the logs. Doc Robbins tells Grissom that the official COD now is that Mona died from asphyxiation. And Grissom says that, yeah, I consider that as a COD. But... 
Doc says there is also a red circular mark inside of her nostrils. And Grissom said those marks are from straws. She was covered in liquid latex and she was using those straws inside her nose to breathe. Mm -hmm. Catherine goes to Lady Heather and uh, she's given permission to collect any murder implements without warrant. They are talking and that's how we find out that Lady Heather has a daughter as well and that she's a freshman at Harvard and Lady Heather said that Catherine would make a great a good dominatrix and says that Catherine is a strong woman who wouldn't take any crap from powerful jerks who are used to give it give it all day long. It is true. We've seen time and time again that Catherine does not take any crap from anyone. And it's also in that conversation that Lady Heather tells Catherine something, right? She tells Catherine that um, never let a man take away your power. Yeah, to never let a man take away your power. Back in the lab, Greg is able to determine which mask Mona was wearing when she died. And also with straw it was used. And with her DNA being isolated, the only thing needed is to find whose DNA belonged to in the other end, which means that someone else was holding the other end of the DNA, practically controlling her breathing. Yep. Grissom, he takes the mold that he did from Mona's wrist and lines up with the mold that Nick found in the garage outside of the club. And it's a perfect match. Ironically, it would be this mold of this watch that would break the case. Catherine, she says that the jewels around the watch, Bezo, means that the watch wasn't cheap. Means that the watch was expensive. Catherine and Grissom, they are able to drag down a guy. A guy with his family. Young, young child. Yeah, his name is Cameron Nelson. When he is questioned, Cameron says there were no robberies in his neighborhood and that he never bought a 20,000 watch. And his wife is taking care of his infant son, Dylan. Catherine's like, oh, maybe we should ask his wife because there is no way that a 20K purchase is made Without the husband and the wife knowing. So Cameron and Grissom, they question his wife, Elaine Nelson. Elaine Nelson. And she's actually a corporate litigator. And she says that she did buy the watch, but she lost it on a business trip. And she... Some kind of business trip. Uh, yeah. She said that she's never heard of Lady Heather. And... Well, she... She probably did not until she saw all the receipts because of messiness. Yeah. She was cheating on her husband, so the husband was cheating on her. 
exactly. And getting her DNA thanks to... Okay, she said that they cannot get her DNA because they might have found a watch that could have belonged to her. She said that they couldn't do it. Catherine and Grissom, they visit the couple again, but this time they have a warrant for the watch box, which is on her Ars Gloves compartment. So the box is empty. The box is empty, but there is a silver of liquid. There's a sliver of liquid latex in it. So Grissom okay. goes to Lady Heather again, and she's sitting down, taking her tea. And it's high tea, not just regular tea. Yeah. He shows her a picture of the Nelsons from the newspaper, and she says that they're married, I mean, without actually knowing them. And she and- also can tell that the wife is cheating the husband with the wife's boss. Yeah, because the wife is presenting herself uh, to the rich alpha male and she wants the dominant male to choose her instead of being the dominant herself. And she, Grissom, tells, actually no, a lady Heather says that Grissom's biggest fear is, is to be known because his whole life, he lived making sure that nobody actually knew him. Well, that will be about to change in about three years' time, but okay. Catherine and Grissom, they search for Cameron's Nielsen's car as his wife arrives, saying that they've gone too far. But they find a sand-covered jacket in the back of the car in the interrogation room. The wife acts as her husband's attorney and kind of berates him when he's trying to speak. And you can see how uncomfortable that makes him feel. Then he starts to talk back and saying that he knew that she had an affair and that her son was only to make her look good to her law firm. Grissom says that they have a piece of liquid latex with Cameron's DNA on it. The thing is, Cameron had been going to a Lady Sadler's club and played the dominant part after being humiliated by his wife for years. He covered Mona in liquid latex. He put the, his wife watching her. And beat Mona pretending that he was his wife. But he took it too far when he covered both straw holes. Which means that he cut Mona's oxygen supplies. Which means that he killed her. Yep. When he's walking out of the room, he tells Grissom that they should run a DNA test on Dylan. Because... His wife hasn't let him touch her in three years. Kind of stating that he knew that his son wasn't actually his son. So kind of indicating that his The affair son... has been going on for a long time. Yeah, and that his son was 
the firm's director's son, right? Because she was having an affair with the director. Right. Okay. So on Sarah's case, we've got Sarah, Wark, and Sam Vega. Do y'all remember him? Well, Vega. Yep. Sarah and Wark, they meet Vega outside of a check, of a check catching store. Because a robbery has taken place. Sandy Cherna, Cherna, that's how we say it. I know. He was making his weekly bankrupt and he was shot in the leg and taken to the hospital. And he makes the same run at the same time every week at nine. So we mean that he was a need target for anyone that wanted to steal the money. According to his sister, she heard a gunshot and she saw a car drive off. Sarah goes to search the, the premises and Warwick decides to look over the parking lot. Warwick actually notices there is a fly on the ground that is absent from the other cars. Vegas says that the car without the flyer is the victim's car. Sarah calls Warwick and says that she found the stolen money bag in a nearby alley. And the bag has been opened and has checks and a deposit slip. It's deposit slip. But there is no cash. So someone was casing the store or the CSIs are looking at an inside job. I'm voting for inside job on this one. Yep. It's amazing how people can really think they can fool them. So they go and question Carla Delgado, who is the owner of the store and the victim's brother. And she says that the business has been there for six years and she has insurance. But, and the store takes 50% of each paycheck for the right to cash it. Ward thinks that Sandy was in on the crime because he would be able to collect the insurance money and get the money he stole from himself. And he also noticed that his flyer that he found on the ground could have been there long before the crime even took place. This he assigns they think they have eyewitness. So Sarah and Vega, they track down the guy who was putting the pliers on the cars. And he says that he was threatened by someone who didn't want their car to be touched. And he saw two guys in baseball caps in the parking lot by the store the night before. He says that those men were in a Honda, but he isn't sure. I mean, how can be, he be sure about it? So a lab tech called Damien Young that we never see it again. <laughs> I don't think we've saw her before. Yeah. She says that the tire tread that Warwick found on the flyer that he collected from the ground is from a Honda. And there is an imprint of something on the on the track. And if they can find the imprint, they can find the shooter. But Bobby, do y'all remember him? Bobby Dawson? 
He IDs the bullet they got from Sandy's leg, and it came from a thirty-eight caliber Colt, which was the same gun that Sandy owns. And it's not looking good for the store, guys. Not looking good. In the hospital, Sarah and Vega, they visit Sandy, and he says that he does own a Colt. And he left it on the shelf behind the cash register. Not so and, smart. And he gets a visit from Carla and her and her husband, Amy, the lab tech. That she tells Sarah and Warwick that the money bag that they found had some material behind the cut fiberglass with some type of resin in it. So Sarah and Warwick they go to Vega and. Fiberglass manufacturer in the city. So the fiberglass is used to cover bath uh, bathtubs right, because it has the highest water resistance. And the company has 24 employers. And one of them is Hector. And Hector is the husband of Carla. And Carla is the sister of Sandy, who was the one that was shot. While he was carrying the bag with the money. So they go to, they decide to go through his car. But before they do, he runs. They always make a run for it, right? So work, he finds him before he tries to go through Barb's wire fence. And Hector says that the Honda did not belong to him. It belonged to a friend of his. But he was promised that nobody would get hurt. So he's brought into questioning. He tries to make a deal. He's going to return the money that he stole without his wife knowing. And then everything will be okay. And and the CSIs were like, are we a joke to you? No, this is not happening. And actor decides to come clean. He says that he picks up Carla after her Wednesday shift. And then he stole Sandy's guns from the store with meaning that he wanted to return. And a few days later, unnoticed, he called his friend to use his car because he knew that if he used his own car. His his own car will be noticed by Sandy. So the two of them, his friends and him, they robbed Sandy. And during the fight, Sandy was shot in the leg. So Hector said that Sandy and Carla, they were insurance. They got the insurance money before the money that they stole. And Sandy's health. So nobody really loses. So Sarah and Warwick, they're like, did you see what he said? Like, did you just hear what he said? Like, it, Carla, she tells Vega that she hopes that her husband goes to jail for a long time. And Sarah tells Carla that they also found out that there was $5,000 that Sandy was skinning from the business in his jean pocket. Sandy was also not a good guy for her. And Sandy said that he was just borrowing the money. 
And Carl is like, well, is he going to be arrested? And Sarah's like, yeah, he is. So in the end, Carla, she lost both her husband and uh, her brother. Oh, but at least she got money, you know, for yep. the insurance of the store. Yeah. And she got to keep the store? She got the, to keep the store, yeah. I mean, it's a happy ending. But she did lose the two people in the process, but still. But they were not good for her. Nope. They were not good for her. I mean, when people are not good for you. Peace out. Peace out, exactly. I mean, those people, they were put in jail for her. But, I mean, when people are not good for you, let them out of your life, sis. Or bro. Or, yeah. What are we talking about? Ladies Heather's Buck. It oh. is the longest single episode of CSI. Back to back with the Lady Heather episode. The last time we've done that, we, it didn't work out. Remember, we did leave out all the rest and then we Lady did Heather a breakdown. breakdown. Yeah. Still to this day, one of our famous, most famous episode. Well, because she's one of the most alluring characters that was not a main character. Exactly. I mean, I think one of the things that allure the public the most about it is her relationship with Fritzum. And the fact that she's a dominatrix and not many people delve into that world. I will say this, though. Before watching CSI and watching her character and kind of explaining that world, you know, I didn't know anything about it before she, before that was brought up. I will explore this more next week, but... And man, is this a strong episode. Yeah. One of the most alluring things that about this character and her relationship with Grissom, because I think in a way... What's the word? I forgot the word. Oh, well, she can read people. Yeah, but not also that Grissom, he had... He was curious about her her world. He wanted to know intellectual. He he was intellectually curious about her. That's what draw. That's what draw her. What does what draw him to her? That's why every time he had a victim that was from the from the same community as her, he has to go the, to her. The SNN community. Yeah, because there was no way he could tell if some of the injuries on the body were actually injuries or not. So I think that's that's a great relationship that they have. But also, I don't like when people put her and Sarah against each other. And I think it took way too long for them to meet. I think I've said it before, but I think they would have been great friends. They would have been great allies if given the chance. If they had met earlier. Because ever since they... This episode in particular, Grissom, he, in the end, he shows up to a Lady Heather Street. And it's up to us to imagine if he got out of the car and went to her house or not. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. We don't but know. But as William Peterson has said, he believes him and Lady Heather never had 
a physical, romantic relationship. Yeah, I think their deal was a lot more intellectual. Intellectual stimulation. Yeah. But I mean, it was the 2000s, right? I mean, they had to put a woman against another woman. So I mean, yep. why not? It's, I think it really put a strain on Grace and Matera's relationship when the Lady Heather was attacked and Sarah was put on her case. And then Grissom had to, he had to sit that one out to stay with her. And then he tried to talk to Sarah about it. And then he, she, he's like, I'm dealing with she trusts And Sarah's like, you do whatever you have to do. I guess why I think they should have met earlier. I don't think it's fair that Grissom would have only talked to Lady Heather after, after he divorced Sarah. I don't think he would have been fair for him to only talk to Lady Heather. Yeah. Well, granted, we know he was doing kind of things that could be very dangerous. So it could have connected, if something could connect it to Sarah. He did not want a chance of putting her in danger. Yeah, I know, but I mean, he. Didn't mind that Lady Heather might be put in danger. Because he did not love Lady Heather. Good point. But, like like we said, we're doing Lady Heather's box next week. It's it's an hour, it's an episode that is an hour and 25 minutes. So it's almost near 90 minutes. Yeah. Which is almost a movie late. Especially in this day and age. Well, I mean, I'm coming from Mount Hyber. That's like uh, well, but see, I'm talking about <laughs> I'm I'm talking like regular movies, not you know, not these major major movies about somebody who helped win USS fight in World War Two. I didn't realize that you had it was, was uh, such a long episode. When I watched it, I'm so interested in the story of the episode. I just get oh, lost in it. I think it took until, like, two years ago to realize how long it was for me. If you hadn't told me how long it was, I would have never noticed how long it was. I mean, for me, it would have probably still be around 20 minutes. Okay, okay. So, yeah, we're talking about Lady Heather's box next week. Yeah. So, um, follow us on our socials if you if you don't. Our socials... Oh, links? I linked on the description below. Except if it's on Twitter, I... Yeah, and our email, too. If you want to email, of course, you can email us anytime. We're, we're going to answer eventually. Of course, we are. We love you guys so, so much. Love you. Bye. Stay safe. Bye. Stay safe.